You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, I'm going to start with a study about language that blew my mind, and we'll end by talking about tricky possessives. This first piece is by Claudio Brizzoli and Simon Tebow from the Lyon Neuroscience Research Center, writing about their research. Language has traditionally been considered a complex skill that mobilizes brain networks specifically dedicated to linguistic processing. But in recent years, neuroscience research has returned to this idea and offered new insights. Notably, studies have suggested that areas of the brain that control certain language functions, such as processing the meaning of words, are also involved in the control of fine motor skills. Syntax, the ability to correctly structure words into a sentence, is one of the most important features of language. While evidence has yet to link syntax skills specifically with motor control in the brain, research published in 2019 revealed a correlation between having good syntactic ability and being skilled at using tools. With this in mind, our international research team was interested to know whether the use of tools engages parts of the brain similar to those mobilized when we're thinking about the construction of sentences. We invited participants, 244 across a series of experiments, to perform tests consisting of motor training and syntax exercises in French. Our new findings published in the journal Science show that these two skills do engage the same region of the brain. We also found motor training with a tool improves our ability to understand the syntax of complex sentences and vice versa. For the motor training, we asked participants to use mechanical pliers to insert small pegs into different holes. In the syntax exercise, participants were shown sentences such as, the scientist who admires the poet writes an article or similar sentences with more complex syntax, like the scientist whom the poet admires writes an article. They then had to judge statements such as the poet admires the scientist as being true or false. For the first part of our analysis, we used brain imaging techniques, functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, to identify the brain networks activated during each task. We observed that the motor training and the syntactic exercises activated common areas of the brain in a region called the basal ganglia. The two tasks activated these common parts of the brain in similar ways. For example, we observed similar distribution of the activations. Once we had ascertained that these two skills use the same brain resources, we wondered, is it possible to train in one to improve the other? Would motor training with the mechanical pliers improve comprehension of complex sentences? 
So in the second part of our study, we invited a new sample of participants to complete a syntactic comprehension task before and after a 30-minute motor training with the pliers. In the syntax task, we found that after motor training, participants performed better with sentences considered more difficult compared to before motor training. To be confident this improvement wasn't an effect of having completed the syntax activity earlier, we compared these results with three control groups. One that did not receive any motor training between the syntax activities, they were shown a wildlife video, and two groups that were given motor training tasks to complete with their bare hands. None of these groups showed a significant improvement in the language task. We also had a group of participants complete the pliers exercise before and after a modified version of the language exercise to ascertain whether the reverse was true. We found practicing complex syntactic skills improved motor performance with the tool, although training with the simpler syntactic structures didn't. Paleoneurobiology, the study of the brain's evolution, has indicated that brain areas related to language increased in our ancestors during times of technological boom, when the use of tools became more widespread. Taken together with modern neuroscience research, this link between language and tool use in the brain is not new. But as we continue to build our understanding in this space, we pave the way to harness this association for good. We're now considering how we could apply our research findings clinically. For example, it might be possible to support the development of language skills in some patients with relatively well-preserved motor skills, such as young people with developmental language disorders. Again, that piece was by Claudio Brizzoli, a researcher at INSERM, Leon Neuroscience Research Center, and the IMPACT team at the Karolinska Institute. And Simon Thibault, a postdoctoral researcher at Lyon Neuroscience Research Center. It originally appeared on The Conversation and appears here through a Creative Commons license. You can find a link to read the original in the show notes, and I hope to hear more about their research in the future because I find it fascinating. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety. 
speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication. And psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, missing pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Next, we're going to talk about something people regularly ask about, weird possessives. Hi, Mignon. I have a quick question for you. My son called me tonight because he saw something on somebody's Instagram story that he was sure was not correct grammar, but his fiance was sure it was just fine. And I wasn't 100% sure about what the right answer was. What the post said was the they referred to a friend of mine's cousin and he wasn't sure if that was correct to put mine in a possessive and an extra possessive double possessive. Um, and he said, wouldn't it be better to say my friend's cousin? And I agree. My friend's cousin is much simpler and better, but does that mean a friend of mine's cousin is wrong? Let me know what you think. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for the question. Mines is definitely not a grammatically correct word. Mine is already possessive, so adding an apostrophe S to make it possessive doesn't make sense. But something else is actually going on in this sentence fragment. A friend of mine's cousin. A friend of mine's cousin is what's called a phrasal possessive, and it just seems especially weird when the phrase ends with a word that's already possessive, like mine. A less weird phrasal possessive happens in a sentence like, the United Kingdom's crown jewels are on display. United Kingdom is two words, and we make it possessive by putting the apostrophe S on the last word. Something like, the guy I carpool with's car has a flat tire, is much more unwieldy, but is also a phrasal possessive. We're making the phrase, the guy I carpool with, possessive. It's his car. Alone, we'd say the word withs with an apostrophe S isn't right, but we're not making just that word possessive. We're making the whole phrase that describes the man possessive. And then again, the pinnacle of weirdness, the PS de resistance, is when the last word in the phrase is already possessive, like a friend of mine's cousin. I mean, yuck, it's cringy. But That's not what you asked me. You asked me if it's wrong. And I have to say, no, it's not grammatically incorrect. But it's definitely something you should try to avoid. I mean, if it stands out so much, your family's debating whether it's correct or not, 
that's a big clue that you can do better. And style guide writers don't like the phrasal possessive. For example, Garner's modern English usage says, quote, avoid phrasal possessives when possible, unquote. But let's back up a bit because there's also something a little simpler called a double possessive. We had a question a few years ago from a listener named Kathy who asked, which is correct? I'm a friend of Fred or I am a friend of Fred's. And she pointed out that it would sound normal to say he's a friend of mine and mine is the possessive. So she wondered if that meant Fred should be possessive. Well, Kathy's right that you usually use only one possessive at a time. Again, although double possessives are grammatically correct, many purists believe that double possessives should be relegated to informal or semi-formal writing if you use them at all. Nevertheless, double possessives have appeared in good writing for centuries, and most people will use them, at least every once in a while. One way to use possessives is to indicate who owns what. If Squiggly owns a car, you say, this is Squiggly's car. You use an apostrophe plus an S on the end of squiggly. You can also form a possessive by using the word of, such as the crown jewels of the United Kingdom. Of course, you could also say the United Kingdom's crown jewels using the phrasal possessive that we talked about before. These examples are just normal possessives. There's nothing double about them. The confusion arises when you use both ways of making the possessive at the same time, as in a friend of Fred's. Here, you have the word of plus the apostrophe S. Although such a double possessive is allowed, most style guides say it's better to rewrite it to something like Fred's friend. Instead of saying he's a friend of Fred's, why not just say he's Fred's friend? Nevertheless, to help us learn what's right, let's look at some possessives and double possessives that native speakers wouldn't use. It definitely sounds odd to say a car of squiggly. On the other hand, you could say a car of squigglies, assuming he has lots of cars and you're pointing out one of them. However, a car of squigglies doesn't sound as natural to me as one of squigglies' cars. On the other hand, it's perfectly normal to say the crown jewels of the United Kingdom or the United Kingdom's crown jewels. But it turns out that it's ungrammatical to say the crown jewels of the United Kingdom's. In this case, there's a clear-cut rule. When you're talking about inanimate objects, objects that aren't alive, such as the United Kingdom, you can't use a double possessive. According to the New Fowler's Modern English Usage, for a double possessive to be legit, the object of the preposition of has to be definite and human. In other words, it's fine to say a friend of my uncle's, but not a friend of the museum's. You have to say a friend of the museum. However, according to this rule, it would be okay to say he's a friend of a friend's. But we've all heard the common expression, he's a friend of a friend. So I guess double possessives don't always work, or at least aren't always necessary. So that should make some sticklers happy. We could clear all this up by telling you that you should just always avoid double possessives. Maybe that would make life easier. Instead of a friend of my uncle's or a car of Squiggly's, maybe we should always say my uncle's friend or Squiggly's car. For the most part, you won't go wrong if you follow that advice. But there are some cases where a double possessive actually does help clarify your meaning. 
This example comes from all the way back in 1768, when Joseph Priestley, a famous language writer of the time, highlighted a particularly tricky sentence about pictures. If you attempt to avoid the double possessive and say something like, this is Marie's portrait, you end up with an ambiguous sentence that could mean you're looking at a portrait of Marie or a portrait that's owned by Marie. You can fix the problem by substituting one of two sentences depending on what you mean. If you mean Marie owns the portrait, then the double possessive makes it clear. This is a portrait of Marie's. On the other hand, if it's a lovely rendering of Marie, this is a portrait of Marie will serve you well. Another time when you might need to use a double possessive is if you want to use a possessive pronoun such as theirs, hers, or mine, as Kathy noted in her initial question. In fact, it's impossible to avoid a double possessive in cases such as she's a relative of his. If you don't like double possessives, you could reword such sentences by saying she is his relative, she's one of his relatives, or simply they're related. Double possessives might also be necessary if you're using a that, those, this, or these in your possessive. For example, the hat of aardvarks sounds a bit odd to me, whereas that hat of aardvarks sounds a lot more natural. And maybe it's not a surprise that that hat of aardvarks also sounds like something of an informal statement. That question of Kathy's was pretty tricky, or it might be better to say Kathy's question was pretty tricky. Instead of I am a friend of Fred's, the better choices for her are I am a friend of Fred or I am Fred's friend or even Fred is my friend. The double possessive and the phrasal possessive are grammatically correct and do have legitimate uses, but you should probably avoid them in formal writing unless doing so sounds unnatural or would cause confusion. The double possessive part of that segment was written by Bonnie Mills, who's been a copy editor since 1996, and I wrote the part about the phrasal possessives. Finally, I have a familect story from Jane. Hi, Mignon. I'm Jane, and I have a familect story from Australia. I've got six children, and when we went out for walks when they were little and they were following behind me, they looked like little ducklings. So instead of saying single file when we had to pass people on the path, I'd say ducky file and they'd all line up behind. Even as adults now, if we're walking together, I say ducky file and they all automatically fall in. I'm a very proud mother duck. Thanks, Mignon. Love your show. Thanks, Jane. I love that story. It's so cute. Next, someone who found me on TikTok reminded me that I should actually tell people I'm on TikTok. Good point. I've been making a lot of videos there lately and on Instagram, too. I'm the real grammar girl on TikTok and the grammar girl on Instagram. That's what happens when you're late to making your account. But come say hello. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to my editor, Adam Cecil, and my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, who usually cans his own salsa, but will be adding San Marzano Marinara to the list this year. Our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen, and our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And a fond farewell to our intern, Brendan Pika. You've been great, Brendan, and I hope you have a long future filled with hiking and axe throwing and wherever your professional path takes you. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey. 
Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.